Read our Bibles to John chapter 15, John chapter 15. And uh, if you are visiting from some faraway land, if you just moved here from some faraway land, um, just know that we teach through books of the Bible generally in here, and um, uh, we've taken kind of a little break over the summer, and uh, we'll jump back to the book of Hebrews after Labor Day, but until then, we're uh, in a four-part series on John 15. So here we are in John 15. And uh, starting in verse 9, and this is God's word, John 15, verse 9. Jesus speaking, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, I'm a musician, and so if you're a musician, your whole life gets uh, intermingled with electronics and uh, computers, and that's just the way it all is, and everything's uh, battery-powered and, and all that. And so I've been, I've been a long-term, big, long-term 9-volt battery licker, and Richard Loom will tell you, um, uh, I don't need a, I don't need a, a little uh, voltage tester thing. I can, I can lick a battery and tell you if it's good or not, and that's very important because you may or may not know this, but every wireless, every device, every little thing in this whole building that needs battery power gets a brand new battery at the top of every Sunday and on Wednesday when Dr. Young gets up here. It's not, you know, granny style where, ooh, I think there's a little energy left in this. Let's see and use it till it dies. No, it's to, if you're going to do a professional operation, it's you're always testing batteries, and we've got a big bucket of them in the sound booth that we just collect and recycle batteries all the time. All that to say, I'm a big battery licker. And so if you take a 9-volt battery and you touch your tongue to one of those little poles on there, it's just like a spoon. If you touch it to the other pole, it's just like a spoon. But man, when you go eh, onto your wet tongue, there is electrical current flowing through the human body, and it is unmistakable. And you get pretty good at judging uh, how much there is. In fact, I... I, I, I know. <laughs> I could impress you by holding it on. I, pro- I, I could probably go 20 seconds, but... Um, no, I know, that's right. Well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the point is uh, when, when both th- connectors are touched, the electricity is flowing, and there's a big difference between flowing electricity and not flowing electricity. Uh, In our Bible passage here today, the concept of abiding shows up over and over again. I mean, that word shows up, abide in me, abiding, abide, abide, bearing much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, that theme just runs the whole way through 
And, uh, and it shows up in a couple of John's letters, too, uh, First and Second John epistles written by the same guy. Um, that theme shows up there, too, this, this sense of abiding, this sense of being attached, um, and uh, that, that life is flowing through it. And uh, I think, ladies and gentlemen, the idea of bi- abiding in Christ, I mean, you know, you go to the Bellevue bookstore and you buy a nice little thing with a brass thing on it, and it's got that, you know, it's got chapter 15, verse 1 in there, and, and people like it, and they like the idea of it. And, but I think it's one of those concepts where Christians, we, we like it, we believe it, we think it's lovely, it's a truth we want to affirm, but we don't really understand what abiding is. We go, yes, abide, but, you know, what does that mean? How do you do it? And it's this kind of this confusing thing in the Christian world. But I think you could just maybe... Think about electricity. The current is flowing or it's not flowing. Oh, we could change the illustration because electricity could turn off, be turned off. How about blood? If blood is flowing in a living creature, guess what that creature is? Living. If the blood is not flowing, not living. I mean, and, and life looks like life. Death looks like death. Um, and so our main idea here today that I would love for you to walk away with is this. Abiding is more than deciding. It is a vital union, okay? And see, that's what usually happens is it's, it's the, the application turns into, now you go get him. Now you go get him and you go be better Christian because you, you go abide. It's not so much deciding that I'm going to abide as it is a vital union where life is flowing and the Holy Spirit of God is working in us. Well, as we mentioned last week, uh, these words uh, in John 15 spoken by Jesus uh, happened just hours before his um, uh, arrest, his uh, trial, his death. I mean, the shadow of the cross is looming heavily over what's happening here. And um, Jesus is talking to these people in chapters 13 through 17. It's a, this big, long discourse, the upper room discourse. Who is he talking to? Well, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the 12 specifically. And Judas leaves really early on. He leaves in chapter 13 and uh, he, he goes out to betray Jesus. So it's just the 11. So at this point, Jesus is talking to the remaining 11 disciples. And that's important to keep in mind as we read because we look at verse 4. Well, let's backtrack from last week. Look at verse 4. Talking to the 11 intimately in this upper room setting, he's washed their feet. Um, he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And we, we read that and we go, wow, that, that's awesome, man, I'm for that, that that's great, I, I get that. But what's interesting is he's talking to his disciples, and in verse 6 he says this then, if anyone does not abide in me... He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, that brings up another question. Who is Jesus talking about? He's talking to the 11 disciples who obviously believe in him, and then he talks about branches being cut off and withering away and thrown in the fire and burned. Who's he talking about? I can tell you very quickly who he's talking about, and this sounds like some theological mumbo-jumbo, but it's not. You've heard, the, you've heard of the visible church and the invisible church? Have you heard of that? What's the visible church? You know what the visible church is? You. The visible church is, you say, hey, uh, <clears throat> attention America, uh, 
who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as his or her own savior for their own personal sins and believes at stake their whole eternity on Jesus Christ alone? Who, who's that? Uh, everybody who raises their hand is the visible church. You know who the invisible church is? It's who God sees. I mean, God looks on the heart. I don't look on the heart. I don't know what's rolling around inside these people. I don't know. I can't, I can't discern, but God can. And so there are, there are a lot of people who go, well, yeah, Christianity. Oh, I've been a Christian my whole life. I sure have. That's the visible church. But God looks on the heart. And God is saying, unless there's a vital union, unless there's real life, unless the Holy Spirit is indwelling, unless the Savior's work and love is coursing through that person, then there is no life at all. And um, so what you could take away from that is rest assured, brethren, that if a man or woman is redeemed, he or she is redeemed indeed. That doesn't go away. It doesn't go up and down. God's affection doesn't waffle. It doesn't. Um, it's for real. It's forever. But Jesus' point here, I believe, is that life looks like life. When, when life is coursing through something, when a current is flowing, a current is flowing, which is why Jesus talks so much about fruit and obedience and asking things in God's will and so on. So, once again, abiding is more than deciding. It is a vital union, and that should guide our whole conversation. So, looking at our first point, divine love, divine joy. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, friends, let's not fail to wonder over that because it's very easy to read that and we go, oh, yeah, mm, uh-huh, mm, oh, yes, that's good. Okay, let's move on. There, that, that is full of wonder, ladies and gentlemen. Think about that. As the Father has loved me, Jesus, as the Father has loved Jesus, so have I loved you. A question, how has the Father loved Jesus? Well, we can, we can consider God's love for a second. This is from uh, 1 John 4. Um, it says, so we have come to know and believe that the love God has, uh, believe the love God has for us. And then it says, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Now, you see some parallel instruction there, right? I mean, same guy, same kind of theme and all that stuff. But we also see, also see a revelation of God's own person, which is God is love. God is loving. It's true. The Bible teaches that God is lovingly kind many, many a time. But it also says that God is love. Uh, that's something about God's uh, person. He's the, he's the essence of love. He, he's the, the source of all love. Now, did Jesus in his humanity perfectly abide with God the Father? The answer is yes. He lived, a, and imagine, I mean, it'll just blow your mind to think that these disciples watched Jesus live. I mean, people have watched me live, and they go, oh, yeah, he's a redeemed guy, but he's got a lot of problems and baggage. And, and people say, we say that about each other. But about Jesus, they would have never have said that. They would have, they would have been in awe, shocked uh, at the perfection of his humanity. He lived abiding in God all the time, abiding in God's love um, uh, perfectly. In fact, he says in verse 10, um, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He did that perfectly. Now, to understand what it means that Jesus uh, uh, 
abided in the Father's love, there's this older writer uh, who said this that I, I just thought was so interesting. He said, the love of the Father for the Son is that of, listen, complacency and delight. And, uh, you know, it's an old writer, so you read that and you go, mm, complacency. I mean, that word just kind of jumps out at you because you go, complacency. That's a very interesting word because when we use it, when we say, oh, someone's complacent, it's got kind of a negative overtone to it. You know, we might say, oh, that person's kind of apathetic or that person's kind of lazy uh, or that person may even be kind of smug. That person's, uh, you know, complacent. Um, but if you look the word up, there's a couple of meanings. And the first meaning is basically to feel a quiet pleasure and security unafraid of assault. That's what this older writer means. He means that uh, um, abiding in God's love um, is this idea of God feeling a quiet pleasure and security unafraid of assault. And that is, is the divine love within the Trinity. This, this you know, you, you love somebody in this life and uh, it's, it's interesting. The more, the more deeply you love someone, the more you open yourself up to that person and then the more you realize that that person could destroy you, right? I mean, you love them, you make yourself more and more bare, more and more bare, and you're more and more vulnerable, and that's a part of our human love. Within the Godhead, within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's no, oh, they may come back and hurt me. It's quiet pleasure and delight. Now think about the Lord Jesus living as a human being on this earth in quiet pleasure and delight in abiding in the Father's love and the Father abiding in Him. It's just an amazing thought. And uh, so, you, you know, you, you think about us. It, it's so profound then to say, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now, of course, Jesus loves and He's hurt. I mean, people attack Him and, 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 he's, and are full of reproach and so on. So how does Jesus say this? I think, I think it's a, a reference to an ultimate way. Yes, Jesus loved his disciples, taking pity on them, having compassion on them. It's true. He loved them in a saving way. God loved savingly. But in an ultimate sense, God fixes. In an ultimate sense, God restores. And uh, it could be said that God feels a quiet pleasure and security, unafraid of assault when he views us. The question is, why would he do that? How could it be possible when we, we are so flawed and fallen and selfish. Well, um, can I direct you to a, a hard-to-find passage in your Bible? Yeah, I'll make it easy for you. Go to Matthew chapter 1, and then go left 10 pages, and you will find Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3. And uh, let's look at verse 17. This is one of the tenderest, most profound things to consider. Um, Zephaniah 3, verse 17, listen. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Now imagine that that is God, the way God looks at you. He looks at you and he doesn't go, ugh, she's so awful. 
What? She's just so mean and gross. Look, I, I'm not. I can't even remember why I saved her. Or looking at oh man, that dude. What, does he have to be harsh all the time and and so greedy all the time? And ugh, what a sinner. Is that is that way the way you think God looks at you? Now he does not enjoy our sin. That's for sure. But the Bible says this that. Um, He will exult over you with loud singing. He will rejoice over you with gladness. This is God looking at you, and he he sees this treasured one, and he's happy. He rejoices. How can that be so, ladies and gentlemen? Well, look at verse 15 of that same chapter. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. Now, an application for your life. Um, A commentator that I've very much admire um, Hendrickson. He says, by his spirit, God invades the heart of the sinner. Don't you like that? He invades the heart of the sinner by his spirit. And we don't usually think in those terms. Christians usually think in terms of, well, we invite Jesus in. I'm going to invite Jesus in. I'm going to say, you know what? I'll tell you what. Come on. Come on in. It's, it'll be great. That's how we think. That's not how, that's not how the Bible likes to speak, though. Um, God invades the heart of the sinners. There's a big difference between inviting and invading. What's the difference? Uh, the difference is who's doing the, initiate, the, the initiating. And, uh, you know, there's, I was talking to somebody last week about this, and I, I've mentioned this before to you, uh, but there's an old hymn called, I Sought the Lord. And... Uh, it's great. That's the title of it. I sought the Lord. You can look it up in the Trinity hymnal. It's in the back of the hymnals. I sought the Lord. But here's what it goes. It says, and afterward, I knew he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. <laughs> so yeah, I did seek him. I did, so- I did seek the Lord. I sought the Lord. But afterward, I knew. Afterward, at some point, I go, you know what? I think this God didn't have to save me. I think this God could have let all of creation fall under his perfect righteous indignation and wrath and punishment, and yet he saved. It's just amazing. Why? It's God doing this initiating. Ladies and gentlemen, I think that um, God loves us and abides, uh, we abide in him, and God sings over us because he has sought us out. And the gospel message is a very simple one, that... um, we're a fallen humanity, and that every aspect of our lives has been touched and touched sinfully and negatively. I mean, even when we try to do something good, even when you get up here and your Bible teacher guy, and hey, everybody, let's look at the Bible together, there's still this part of you that's churning back here going, okay, I'm selfish, and I've got a motive, and uh, I want some attention, and I want some job security too. That, don't forget about that. And, you know, there's, there's always this pride swimming around us all the time. Um, God sees that. The world is so affected. And uh, left unto ourselves, you know, I, I talked to a friend this week. I said, if God took his restraining finger off me, calamity. I mean, all he would have to do is remove a finger, calamity. But in his love, he seeks out sinners. He says, you know what? You can't come to me. You can't be received because you're sinful. You can't. I cannot accept you. I cannot let justice go unserved. And so he lets justice be served by having the Lord Jesus come to earth and live a human life, take on a human body and nature He lives a perfect human life so that he can lay it down in the sinner's place and say, 
Punish me instead of them. And the gospel is simple. You believe that? That means you're a Christian. You believe that you can't contribute to it? That means you're a Christian. You believe that salvation is a gift? That means you're a Christian. If you think you can add to something, if you can think you can put a little bit of good works on top of it, it's no longer a gift, and that means the current is not flowing. That is the gospel as the Bible teaches it. All right, our second point, friends who obey. And by the way, that's why God can rejoice over you. He sees the righteousness of his own son. Uh, all right, friends who obey. As we said, uh, life looks like life. And uh, in verse 9, it says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, do you know what that is? Uh, it's, not a, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. When he says, abide in my love, it's a command. It's not a slogan. It's an essential. Look at verse uh, 10. If you keep my commandments, that's a com- uh, commandments, uh, you will abide in my love. You see that obedience to God is a direct outcome uh, and an evidence of spiritual life to begin with. Now, here's another commandment, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, what's so amazing about that is we have this example by Jesus, this perfect example. We see how he loves and trusts and abides in the Father. We also see the action of his love. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, uh, notice that he calls them friends. And uh, in verse 14, he goes on to talk about it more. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And uh, so in a very real sense, Jesus is implying that by his dying for them, he is making them his friends rather than God's enemies, as it says in in the book of Romans. He's making them his friends rather than servants who are just serving him. They were servants in verse 15, but he doesn't call them servants anymore because the servant doesn't know what the master's doing, thinking, his motives, and all that. But I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. So in an ultimate sense, he's talking about dying to make them friends, uh, and they live in the light of that. Um, Notice in verse 16, too, it says, Um, Hang on a second. Um, Yeah. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit and your fruit should abide. So again, we see that Jesus is doing this instigating. I chose you, you didn't choose me. Um, And here's how this, this applies to your life, I believe. As we'll see in our last point, the ultimate purpose of redemption is what? The glory of God. The ultimate purpose of all of God's dealings with us is the glory of God. And I've told the story many times, but I remember telling uh, some evangelistic people that the ultimate um, purpose of evangelism was not to save sinners. And, th- and they go, what are you, in some kind of cult? No. The ultimate purpose of evangelism is to bring glory to God by saving sinners. I mean, yes, it's, it's, it's high on the agenda. Jesus Christ died for sinners. Yeah. It's all about that. But the ultimate purpose is to bring glory to God. Look at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to me, be my disciples. The, the ultimate purpose is God's glory. Again, we'll talk about that more in a second. But um, what does it look like uh, in short? Well, it says in verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Well, I just want to bring God glory with my life. 
How should I bring God glory? Well, you can do all kinds of things to bring God glory. But you know what seems to be top of the list? Loving each other. And not just loving the world. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to love the people who need a Savior. But you know who we're supposed to love? Each other. We're supposed to love the flock. That's what Jesus is telling them. Hey, uh, you want to obey my commands? You, uh, you want to know that you're abiding in me? Here, I'll tell you how you do it. You love the flock. You know, I tweeted this recently, or I'm about to tweet this, but I said something like this. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, but... Uh, you can, the question is, can you leave a church because you've been hurt? Can you leave a church because you've been hurt? Man, there's just so much hurt there. Oh, we were just so hurt there. Maybe we should leave this church and go to another church. Can you, can you do that? Perhaps, yeah, yeah. You know, perhaps there's so much hurt, and perhaps it's a Paul and Barnabas situation. Sure. Uh, perhaps God uses a division to uh, bring you into the path of somebody else's life and uh, another church congregation and so on. But you know what you can't do? You can't do it. You can't leave a relationship unattended to. Well, we're just going to leave that church because we've been so hurt. We're so hurt, we're going to have to get out of there. Well, guess what you can't do? You can't not fix the relationship if you believe what the Savior says about offering your gift and reconciliation and so on. You can't do it. And so you want to know what uh, glorifying God looks like? You want to know what abiding in, in Jesus Christ looks like? Loving the flock. Are you your brother's keeper? You're darn right you are. We're responsible for everybody. You know, this is kind of cliche, but it's, uh, you know, very 70s. 1972 song. We sang it all the time in church. We are one. In, never in big church, always like in by the fire, you know. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. You remember that? And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. You know, the rights are like, what? Um, or Dennis, anyway. Dennis is like, what? Shibbit of what? But that's what we sang in the 70s. You weren't a Christian yet, but... <laughs> but, you know, I grew up, and I, I, always, th- I always thought, oh, that's kind of neat. Love's pretty cool. Well, love's pretty cool. Not cool. It's essential. You want to know what uh, abiding in Christ looks like? That's what it looks like. All right, last point, harmonics. Um, you've got these really wonderful and somewhat confusing statements, uh, confusing to Christians often. Uh, Look at verse 16. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Listen, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And um, you've got another one in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, Christians read that and we go, well, you know, what happens when God says no to the thing that I prayed? And uh, I mean, how does, that, how does that reconcile? And should I, you know, uh, is he a genie in a bottle? And should I ask for a million dollars? Is that what I should ask for? Oh, I like a billion dollars, God. Oh, it didn't happen. Uh, this, is this real? Now, the reason I entitled this harmonics is this. Um, you know, if, if, 
if a guitar player tunes an, if a guitar player is playing a guitar on a stage, he, I've told you this before, he tunes a guitar before rehearsal, he tunes it again before the performance, he tunes it again before the second performance, and sometimes he tunes it in the middle of the performance. I tuned it in the middle of rehearsal, so I've tuned my guitar quite a few times already today. Did you know that you can tune a drum? Did you know that? The drums are tuned, that you use a drum key, and you, doo, 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 you go around like this, and you tune a drum. I mean, you'd have to tune instruments. Harmonics are these. If you don't have a digital tuner for your guitar, you, you depress a string and you touch a string, and you catch the harmonic. Bing! It's just a tiny little ding. It's just a little dingy sound. It's kind of a not really playing the note, but you just catch a harmonic. And what you hear is you hear the constant, and then you hear the string that you're tuning. And when, the, the, when they're not in tune, you hear this. It's very faint. You hear this. That's what you hear. The sound waves are like, you know, competing with each other. And as you tune a little thingamajiggy, it goes. And that's when your, guitar, your strings in tune. Did you know that? Thank you. Um, my point is, when, it, when the Bible says, hey, per, ask for this and ask for that, and God will give you, well, it's talking about harmonics, basically. It's talking about being in tune with God's will. I mean, you pray what God would have you pray. You pray the right things. It means you pray the right things. It means that you're also satisfied when it's not the answer that you might have suspected. I mean, you know, you come up with, you cook up a little plan. This is how I'll solve my big problem. Lord, please make this happen. It doesn't go that way. And you go, what happened? Well, it's, it's being satisfied with God's answer. It's being in tune with God's will, even if it's not the way you worked it out. Um, Psalm 40, verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And concerning that, we see Jesus' very clearly articulated uh, motive in verse 8. I want my Father to be glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. I want my Father to be glorified. And Jesus repeatedly spoke of doing the Father's will and the work of the Father and the people that God gave him, the Father gave him, and seeing the Father glorified and so on. So here's the ultimate purpose. Application for your life, too. Our goal is that God will be brought glory. And the way he's brought glory is that we're in tune with his will and uh, we're satisfied in him. And, uh, you know, guys, would, would God be less glorified if he didn't create the universe? No. He wouldn't be less glorified. He w- he's, he's totally sufficient within his own self uh, and content within its own self. But he, he loves to show his glory, and he loves for the recipients of his love and affection and grace to, to enjoy him and, and uh, magnify his glory in that way. All right, last thing, and we're almost done. Um, th- this commentator that I was reading, um, he said that it, it is love that is the engine of perseverance in the faith. And I thought that was pretty cool. It is love, not just, you know, like flower children love, but God's love, God's love and spirit and work in us. It's the engine of perseverance in the faith. And I just think that's a wonderful thought. You know, you, you think things like, how will I ever make it to the end? I mean, you've seen Christians fail and, and you go, man, Lord, uh, you know, it seems like the more mature you get as a Christian, the more real you realize how, how sinful you are. Uh, and you go, man, how, will, I, will I make it to the end? Uh, will I remain faithful to the end? Well, love is the engine of perseverance in the faith. Will I survive the Christian life? Well, 
You know, we sing about God's glory all the time, but it secures us, ladies and gentlemen. Um, uh, I, I should add that it is God's love through us. It's, it's um, the, the engine of the perseverance of the faith. It's God's love through us, and that means that abiding is more than deciding. It's a vital union. Uh, if you are redeemed, you are forever redeemed, uh, and in that you can rest. Let's pray. Father, um, we're humbled to think that you would have loved us with an everlasting love, and Lord Jesus, that you would have loved us in the way that, you, that, the, that the, the Father loves you and you love the Father. It's just amazing. And uh, God, we are amazed that you are, are happy with us. You rejoice over us. You, you, you do it with loud singing over us. Um, we, we pray that we would understand that more, and we pray that we would understand that um, abiding is not just um, us trying to do better. It is this vital saving union uh, with us in this great Savior, and we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Catch you next time.